Welcome, guys. Uh, good to see some new faces this year. Uh, my name is Tim Spivey. I just preached my last sermon at the church that my wife and I helped plant 12 years ago. Uh, I did three three days ago, and so we're transitioning here. Uh, I'm the new associate vice president of spiritual life here on the campus. Uh, so I'll be doing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we're uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, all things spiritual life, kind of overseeing the hub for spiritual life, which is. Uh, uh, really kind of the the epicenter of kind of ministry on the campus, especially the student-facing stuff. And so uh, we're super excited about it, and we've been able to, uh, I think, hopefully learn some things down there where we are, uh, especially about trying to reach the next generation that we can, we can help and learn from the community up here as well. So pray for us. Uh, my own view is that Pepperdine's probably in a much more position of strength than it has been in years past spiritually because it's woven through the fabric of the whole school. Uh, whereas when I was here, it was kind of like you had the, the faith stuff and you had the academic stuff, uh, and they both were great, but they were very much separate. And now, uh, no matter where you go, if you walk in the administration building, it's obvious. Uh, if you go to the amphitheater, it's obvious. To offer, it's obvious. Any office that you go to, um, you'll see the uh, a very overt... Uh, testimony to the fact that hey, this is a Christian school. If the big cross on the lawn didn't convince you, you'll get convinced when you're here. Okay, so uh, pray for President Gash and uh, everybody else that's uh, putting their hand to the plow here to try to help uh, reach students for Christ and, and develop them as future Christian leaders. Uh, and so th that's that's a little bit about me. I just that I finished uh, 28 years of uh, vocational ministry in uh, on April. I started April Fool's Day. Uh, of uh, 19 something and uh, 28 years behind wherever we are now and um, uh, it's been tremendous I view this as a kind of just a new chapter in my ministry not necessarily I'm leaving one leaving ministry and doing something else um, but uh, I'm going to try to give you I've been blessed to be a part of since I entered ministry mentoring circles with some of the best church leaders out there uh, and to be uh, be blessed to sit at the table with people as they're talking about the uh, the edgiest stuff, kind of what's coming down the pike. Uh, I mean, right now I'm part of a group that's uh, talking about AI and it's uh, where that's going to go. I mean, imagine your preacher uh, just sitting there saying, uh, you know, hey, um, give me a 30 minute sermon on uh, the atonement and having a thing go boom, you know, uh, and spit it out and have it be better than what you probably would have produced. Uh, so people are trying to think about the implications of that and what, where that goes from a ministry standpoint, those kind of things. Uh, and I think the other impetus for this class is the idea that when I've been in circles, especially in the Churches of Christ, we're a very academic crowd, and I think that's one of the strengths that we've got. But the downside of that is usually academics uh, aren't, they have very little trench experience. So we end up with this situation where we've got a lot of good war room people, but we don't have anybody that knows how to fire a gun, so to speak. So when we go to battle, we're running out of Navy SEALs. We don't have, we don't have people that actually have done that for a while. And what I realized was, the things that I was hearing in books and surveys and stuff like that didn't resemble what I was observing as a full-time pastor of a church that is pretty, uh, pretty young. And I also, there would be this cyclical thing where it'd be like, okay, we want to know what young people uh, think about this. So we're going to go ask them, uh, are you concerned, for instance, are you concerned about climate change? Well, yes, I am. Right. But if you watch their behavior and what they do, that might tell you a different story, right? So one of the lasting, don't be, don't be afraid, you can come in, especially this guy. I'm working with him now. So he's one of our, our folks at the hub, that's Cam. So uh, what I realized was 
um, there were there, the gap between survey data, which is where most people who write books get it. So if people on the Pepperdine campus are wondering, okay, what's going on out there, they often will pick up the latest research on it. The latest research comes from polls and surveys, things like that. Uh, and so um, it took me back mentally to a, uh, there was a survey done, this is years ago, at the National Conference of Youth Ministry. And they asked the guys in the, uh, that were staying there, how many of them had actively used pornography in the last seven days. And I think it was about 20%. Now that may should be really high to you, but when they, what they did was they asked the hotel for the records of what went on during the conference, and it was almost 100% of the places where they stayed. So you see the gap, right? This is what I want to say, what I think I ought to say, and then here's reality. So when you get on the other side of the pandemic, for instance, uh, the game totally changed. Questions like, how many people go to your church? It used to be kind of easy to answer, right? You just go, well, how many people are there in attendance? Even that's hard to gauge now because it can swing up and down. Uh, do you count online or not? Do you, um, you know, how, how are you going to go about that exercise? And I'm going to suggest to you it's kind of irrelevant at this point. It's one of those, it's like trying to measure a liquid with a ruler. It's not the right tool for the right question. Um, and so we're going to take some things. And we're going to start today with more of the, the church kind of leadership growthy stuff. Tomorrow's more of the hot button stuff. We get to one of them today, we'll do it, which is uh, kind of the issue uh, that was being talked about in the class right before me, the role of women in the church, and, and how important is that, how important is it not, and how to, how to handle that in a way that doesn't blow the church up or take eight years to make changes if you want to do that. All right, so off we go. I'm going to start with a very simple one that, that you guys um, probably have heard. You may even believe this. And uh, Truishism is something that's kind of true, but kind of not. So... Um, in this particular one, there's the idea that people want shorter sermons. The idea behind this, I think, was the TED Talk and how popular the TED Talk was. Uh, but there, what, what, I, what I observed, for instance, was the churches where a lot of younger people particularly were attending preached forever, like 60 minutes. Um, I, I picked up on that way back when Mark Driscoll was still at Mars Hill up in Seattle, and, and, and he was preaching like 70 minutes. And, and he was just loaded with young people. And I was like, what in the world? I thought they were supposed to have no attention span. I thought they, were, they didn't care about deep things. They were all shallow. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, and I, I, I observed the same thing for the next, you know, 15, 20 years as I watched um, church after church after church. Now, again, so if you go to something, you just ask them, hey, do you want longer sermons or shorter sermons? <laughs> the funny part was they just found that uh, even the younger people, 70% of people wanted longer sermon, not shorter. That's the most recent survey data, right? Now, just badmouth survey data. Here's a quote uh, from a younger churchgoer. This is the, the survey. It says, another surprising finding about younger churchgoers was that the younger the evangelical, the more likely he or she is to want more in-depth teaching at church. 70% of evangelical churchgoers like the teaching in their church as it currently is. The other 30% want the teaching to have more depth to it. Says the authors, among three out of ten evangelicals want, who want something different, it is almost unanimous, give us more in-depth teaching. And younger evangelicals are twice as likely as the oldest evangelicals to call for more in-depth teaching at the church. Don't miss that. Twice as likely. The younger they get, the more they want it. 
which matches my experience. So if you came to our church, uh, you rolled in at 8 o'clock, first service starts at 9, you would probably see three or four teen or college students already there. They are sitting in the coffee shop with their journals and Bibles open. They're drinking coffee and reading their Bibles. 9 o'clock comes. They will either serve or they will go to church. When that's over, they will serve or go to church, whichever one they didn't do at the first one. And then they will often hang out together in a pack for the afternoon and come back at 4 o'clock for worship band rehearsal for the, for the group. They'll lead worship all night long. And when it's done, they will go to In-N-Out for hamburgers. Okay. And this is the bulk of our youth ministry. The bulk. Not, not like a few fringe kids. That's the bulk. I, uh, I decided to teach an Old Testament survey class. on. I was doing 101 here at Pepperdine and said, you know, I can just double dip and do the same thing roughly. So we show up. We have about 50 people that show up for this Wednesday night 7 o'clock class. Probably 60% of those people were 21 and younger. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We observed that during COVID. We're getting more traction with midweek events than we are on the weekends. We'll talk about that later. Um, but all that just to simply say, just because, for instance, you might want a shorter sermon, or you might want to preach a shorter sermon, or your preacher's terrible, and, and, and that's the issue. It's that... You know, it doesn't matter what the talk is. If it's bad, you want the misery to end as soon as humanly possible, right? So it could be that. Um, but what I'm what I'm trying to suggest to you is that that kind of folklore is out there all over the place, right? Oh, young people want this, and and uh, they don't want anything of depth. They don't, you know, they're shallow. They have no attention span or whatever. In reality, often what we do is project onto them, or we get the source of the information from what we read in the newspapers or that kind of stuff. But when you're on the ground and you're actually uh, doing a part of it, being a part of it, things are very different. So it's not that they want shorter sermons. This doesn't just apply to the next gen. I hope you've heard that in the quote. It's everybody. They want the, it's not, and it's also, by the way, don't go longer just to go long. They want better and deeper. So first place to start is making it better. Uh, I will tell you, as I observe, because I listen to a lot of preachers, even in our own tribe, uh, Every week, I just like listening to sermons. I've observed that when I was a young man, uh, those sermons would be about 40 minutes apiece. Now 20 is kind of the norm. We're going the wrong way. You were wanting this, and we're giving them that. Right? Now again, if it's terrible, then they're not going to want it at all. Now terrible is in the eye of the beholder what makes it. doesn't mean a lot of pizzazz. Hear depth, substance, help them understand the Bible. Help them understand God and their connection to Him. Jerusalem too. This is a hot button one of a sort. Uh, people want a political church. Uh, they want to be talking about all the relevant issues of the day. They're concerned about these things, and they want to talk about them in church. Uh, that does not match my experience at all. <laughs> uh, and reason for that, I think, uh, this, is a, this is conjecture, but I think it's an educated guess. Um... Most people, if they're on the young side, have been political pawns their entire life and been soaked in it in a way that my generation was not. So when I was growing up in church, there was a clear divide between politics and church. And when I was a student here, there was a clear divide even between like, okay, we're doing scholarly stuff now. The faith stuff is Wednesday night over in Elkins. Right now we're going to do the meat, potatoes kind of scholarly stuff, and then we're going to go do that. There were clear lines. Now there are no lines. 
and their parents are being whipped up into a frenzy about being concerned about them every minute of every day for whatever the reason is, whether it's peanut allergies or COVID or whatever. Their, their parents are anxious, okay? And so what happens is because we're, and then parents are caring more about that stuff than before. So there's, there's projection going on again. Uh, what, what I think I see going on, and my colleagues bear this out, um, is that they don't want a political church, they want an aspirational church. What I mean by that is there's a big difference between me saying, for instance, uh, getting up as a preacher and saying, hey, everybody, um, somebody give me an issue, the top button in your church. What? Environment. The environment. Okay. Um, hey, everybody, I just want to, as you read this week in the, uh, uh, you're up north, right? Okay. Okay. Definitely. All right. So you're up there. San Jose Mercury News or whoever uh, wrote an article this week talking about basically that we're all slowly uh, melting to death. And we as Christians have a responsibility to make sure that we don't kill everybody with what we do. And so we're organizing a group of people to organize a day of prayer for the climate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. So that maybe we can persuade God will help other people see that they are, um, uh, ruining his planet and, and repent of that and come back the other way, right? That's, a, that, that's one way to approach the subject, and I would say that's the norm. Uh, that, that's the way most preachers kind of come at it. It's very, they call it prophetic. I might use the term cynical or, or charged, all right? Um, there, there are multiple kinds of prophets. Prophetic doesn't just mean uh, you say it angrily. That's not what prophecy is, right? You've got people prophesying great things. Like if you go to Pentecost, you've got Joel being repeated in Acts 2. Uh, that's a captivating vision of what's going on. But if you put it this way and you say, guys, what, what would it be like to live in a world that flourished, where the water was clean, trees were lush, the, the you know, whatever. So, so then you, you start helping them understand how God, their relationship to Jesus, connects to that world. That's different, but it's aspiration, right? As opposed to condemning as opposed to uh, those kind of other things. And I do think that they want the bridge from here to there, but what they don't, what they're not looking for is somebody to basically say, okay, I want to come in and lead. I want an activist kind of in working of that. What they want to do is meet God above everything else. And I think the reason for that is they don't have anywhere else to get it. Like, I think that's probably the biggest reason we've seen a spike in the Bible as a, as a, as a key source of wisdom for the younger people at this point in their lives is because there's nothing, they're being told essentially the truth is kind of relative based on their own experience, how they feel, what they experience, and, and there's something uh, lovely to them about something that transcends themselves. So, um, something ancient, not today. Something, uh, so for instance, during COVID, uh, a lot of people were racing to try to do live streams and, and a lot of really contemporary stuff, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do we take the contemporary into, into the now? I was part of a think tank at the time that was working on um, uh, kind of online experiences in general. And we went the other way and thought, you know what? I bet going the opposite direction is probably the way to go. So I'm gonna, let's go ancient with it instead. So we actually started going that direction and the churches that did that fared far better during COVID than the people who went forward and tried to get more contemporary, going backward. Okay, what I mean by that would be like, um, so for instance, uh, we started, I started, uh, I did a series called Then, Now, Next at the time. Um, and uh, we stripped down worship, we sang different songs, 
uh, the sets behind us because we were online, right? So you could you had to we were in a studio and could do different things with it. Uh, the clothing I wore, the stuff behind it, uh, you know, it looked like something you would get in Stauffer Chapel. It didn't look like something you would get in the field house, if that makes sense. The look of it, the essence of it, the way the way we spoke, the illustrations I used, I, I would I would go from draw the line from the biblical times to church history. I would use illustrations from church history. Uh, things like that, that tied them into something that was going to last because mentally you want them to understand, hey, what we're a part of here is is something that transcends whatever's going on in the moment. And they found that very reassuring, I think. Uh, we started doing some liturgical things, you know, uh, being paying a little bit more attention to the liturgy itself as opposed to just, okay, we're going to sing some songs with some energy. Because you can't, there's only so much energy you can communicate through a camera. So you have to, you have to find another way. Um but kind of the point that I want to make sure that, that, that you're getting here is the way that you communicate your ideas is the key. They don't necessarily want to go to another rally when they go to church. They want you to help them understand, okay, if what you're saying is true, and this is going on in the world, uh, how, how would God want us, call us to a better way of life? It's aspirational. It's not as much condemning or prophetic, if you want to use that term. Um, so... Uh, there's one down the road that I'll tell you, but people generally become who you tell them they are, not who they want to be. So if you go like this and I say to you, um, I'll pick on Cam since he's here. You know, Cam, listen, um, you need to be more, uh, I don't know, whatever, tall. Uh, more, more, more of this, more of that, right? And I, and I just tell him, you know, the problem with things in the world is, is people like him. Um, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? We're, a, we are not giving to our capacity church. We just aren't giving. Okay. And, and, and we got to be doing better than that. You know what? I'm so frustrated with the fact that we do nothing after Jesus clearly says we're supposed to take care of the marginalized and we don't do anything. Okay. You hear that? Okay. Versus, um, I have always been so thankful for what a generous church this is. Okay. Now I'm telling them, you're generous people, right? Um, it's the difference between telling somebody they're going to hell because of their sin and the fact that Jesus saved you, right? You can do either. It's not that one's true and one's not, but one is more likely to get somebody to go, oh, uh, because people generally respond to how you are toward them, right? Does that make sense? So that comes from a book called Leadership and Self-Deception that I highly recommend to you, Arbinger Institute. And uh, basically they say it's in the air. So if, if you're in the pulpit and you're looking at younger people and they know that you think they're flaky, they can tell if you're tolerating them. If you think that they shouldn't wear flip-flops to church, if you think if the, your feelings about them come across uh, whether you want them to or not, it's in the air. Uh, and... It's like, uh, if you ever go to like a, 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 a really confined Mexican food restaurant, it stays in your clothes, your hair, everything for days. It's like that. People can smell it on you. Oh, I get it. And so we get up and we talk about why we don't, why don't have any young people in the church. And part of it is, I'm not sure we want them that badly. They're complicating. <laughs> Factors. Uh, they do dumb things. Um, we had a kid that, that sprinted through our lobby, and we have a secular-owned coffee house in our building. Uh, he was running through the building, and he took out a customer of theirs because he wasn't paying attention. Right? A lot of people go, these young people today, they don't have any, any reverence for God, reverence for 
others, and I, I could do that, right? Uh, or I could say, hey, listen, you know, come here. Uh, you know what we're trying to do here, right? Like, yeah, you, are you, are you, you're glad that they're here, right? That, that we're, yeah, yeah, man, I'm so sorry. He's like, I, I know you didn't mean to do it. Why don't you go apologize uh, to, to that person over there? Offer to buy them a new coffee, because you knocked theirs all over the floor <laughs> at your own expense. Okay, go do that or whatever, and then go apologize to the owner. Tell them how sorry you are. Tell them how you're not going to do it again, everything like that, and then we're going to do better next time, right? Yep, okay, great. All right, let's go, you know? And the next thing, so he's one of those guys that shows up an hour before church and is doing his Bible and everything, right? Newer Christian. Um, but, but, but there is a tone. And what I'm suggesting to you is it's not so much that younger people want the church to change what it believes. They want the church to change how it behaves. Does that make sense? Now, that's, again, it's a theory, but it's an educated theory, <laughs> I think. And it's observable in, in lots, of, um, lots of things. Uh, generally, uh, when it comes to political kinds of things, they want to get to know God and trust their lives fully into him with a community that they trust who can help them order their lives. All right? Which includes all the, all the things that we often refer to as political issues. All right, truishism, number three. Kind of true. Change happens through education. Can. It's part of it. Um, but the truth is, change usually happens through trust. Here's, uh, here, let me illustrate. Uh, I could almost have a cottage industry job going to churches trying to get through the issue of the role of women in the church as a consultant and do almost nothing else and have plenty of money to, to feed off of. It is a, a problem going through every church, and then you can add race to it, you can add LGBTQ to it, you can add whatever issues you want. The solution most churches of Christ pick is, anybody want to, what, what do we do? Let's study it. Let's study it. How long do we usually take? A couple of years. A couple of years. Okay. So, what we think is, the re you will see it my way if you just understand. Um, if you're inside the room with the elders, uh, you realize there's a lot of slippery slope fear. Well, if we do that, if, if, you know, if we let them pray, next thing you know, they're going to want to they're going to pass communion trays too, right? That kind of stuff. Um, you know, my buddy's church over there, he he, they did it, and boy, their church divided in half, and boy, they've been a disaster ever since. Fear, right? Um, well, you know what? He's always been, you know, the, looking at their opponent in the room. You know, they've. They've always been that way. They just like change for change's sake. They just don't have any respect for who this church is and who it's been. Right? And when you get up to announce to the church that you're going to study it, how many of your churches believe you that you haven't made up your mind already? In round numbers, zero. Almost all of them think this is a charade we're going to do. So what we're really going to do here is fight for two years and then make the change and half of us are going to leave in two years. The clock starts now, all right? I'm going to suggest to you that these kinds of changes are as, as awful as they are and difficult at times, probably better than awful, difficult, uh, because we, we look at education alone as a uh, solution, when in reality what is happening is they don't trust you and one another. Um, when we made that change at New Vintage, 
which was about five years ago, maybe as longer than that, actually. Uh, we did it through hiring a, a female executive pastor who was going to be my backup in the pulpit. And uh, that was a big, big change from where we'd been. We hadn't had anybody preach. We'd always had women serving in every other area of the church. But that was a new one. But our read on it at the time was things were healthy. Uh, people were getting along well. They were, um, and so I got up on a Sunday morning, uh, board's blessing, you know, so it's not like I did this on my own. Um, staff knew, staff was in alignment and agreement. I got up and I just said, hey, everybody, uh, you know, we've been looking for the next executive pastor and it's my privilege to introduce you to her today. And as soon as I said her, I saw this happen, her. And, uh, but it wasn't that. I think it just shocked them. They were expecting uh, somebody else. So um, she was replacing um, Rudy Haygood, who uh, some of you may know the Haygood brothers, Seth Fate and Rudy. Rudy was, was the XP at the time. So she comes in to replace him. And uh, they're like, she? And I said, yeah. And she's a gifted, really gifted teacher. And uh, because uh, we know that the Holy Spirit... Uh, gifts people just as he chooses, uh, but we believe that she's going to contribute a ton uh, to what we learn here on the weekend. So she's going to be backing me up in the pulpit uh, eight to 12 times a year. And uh, basically, I kind of, it was a little longer than this, but 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 at that tone, right? I'm not going, the elders of the church have made a rendering or a, or, or a decision. And after two years of serious study, here's what we've decided to do. We did that. We lost one family. We made it in 10 minutes. Right, because of, because of trust, right? The one family we lost, uh, they were what, 25 and 23 years old with one kid. That was the family we lost. We didn't lose any older people. We didn't lose anybody else. And, uh, and she took her first crack at the pulpit three weeks later. And uh, I guess what I'm saying is those kinds of changes, whatever it is, may not be that for you in your church. You may not want to do that or whatever, but you're going to have to change something. You want to relocate. The way that you get there best is to make sure that you build trust on the front side. Don't try to build it then. Do it on the front side of things so that when you, you go for those changes, you don't meet that kind of, that kind of resistance as you go through. Um, if you want to move quickly and in a more united uh, fashion, trust rather than education alone is the key. By all means, educate people. I don't know that you could find two years worth of material on women in, in ministry in the Bible and that kind of stuff. I mean, if you're really dealing with the New Testament particularly, there's a fairly limited scope there, and everybody in the churches of Christ know those passages already. So at best, what you're doing is trying to deconstruct what they believe about them and then kind of rebuild that. But, but even that is going to be hard to do if they don't trust you. They're going to think you're like a, a radical professor of theirs or something, and they're not going to trust you, and the resistance is going to go up, and they will stop listening to you. How do you build trust? Truth-telling over time, meaning when they get up and they say stuff to us, they tell us the truth about things. So a staff person leaves. They can't tell you everything, but they can tell you enough that you're not in the dark all the time. Uh, when they preach texts from the Bible, which they should be doing every Sunday, when they get to the hard ones, they don't all of a sudden skip over certain things or uh, soft shoe things because it, they, people smell the fear and the cowardice of their leaders if it's there. Um, so they, they view you and your leadership as, as truth-telling. The atmosphere created, which is what we've been talking about a lot. Edwin Friedman uh, uses the analogy of a gas-filled room. 
you got a room that fills with natural gas with the windows closed and you light a match, it blows the room up. But it's not the match that was the problem. It was the atmosphere in which the match was lit. So opening the windows is step one if you're going to do that and make sure the anxiety of the church is lower. Um, and there's, there's, there are ways that, and we can talk about that maybe um, here if you'd like to down the road. Uh, making sense? All right. Uh, let's see what's next. I think I've got a hot button next. I may skip that one. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Let's do it today. Uh, we'll give you one of these today. Um, I want to be careful so that I'm understood. I heard you, hope you heard what I just said about, about like our own church's view of the role of women in the church and stuff. So we're, we're an inclusive church. Uh, having said that, um, the, uh, if you go to the, the issue of what the messages that men are being sent right now, uh, that is a point of grave concern for me. Uh, so if I, again, if I, if I tell, um, uh, God forbid, I would say this to one of my daughters, I have three daughters and I, and I was always nitpicking them. I was always telling them, you know, Hey, God, do something with your hair. You know, why don't you wear pull an upset and wear some makeup for a change? Or, you know, why don't you, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay, that, that, that does things to them, right? Or if I say to them all the time, you know, well, that's just because you're a girl. That's just because you're a girl. That's just because you're a girl, right? That's demeaning. Uh, and it shapes the way that they see not just themselves, but all women, right? Okay. If I had an area of gravest concern, it would be this right now, which is the church is fundamentally horrible and getting worse every day at reaching young men, not young women, young men. If you doubt me, go to your youth group, take a poll, see how many of them are male versus female in the group. Uh, if you're better than 70, 30, you're probably in the top 10% of the class. It's going to be the vast majority of you now. Um, that's not necessarily bad. It's just, it ought to make us notice some things. I think young men have no idea how to be a Christian man these days, and they're not being taught it. Um, but they are hearing a lot of negative messages from the outside, uh, in media, in uh, uh, what they read, what their teachers say in the classroom. And I think we're starting to see, the, unfortunately, the negative results of that. I think God made male and female both in the image of God for a reason. And I think that the future is not going to be female, or won't be much of a future. It'll be together. It'll be both. And I don't think that we have to sacrifice uh, uh, the value of what men bring to the table in order to help give the sisters full uh, expression of their gifts. And at least for most, they would say, yeah, no, I think it would be a good idea to have better, better caliber men rather than lower caliber men. Um, and so we grow up, we're growing up in a fatherless society. Uh, much of the, uh, the kids that come to our church, at least, um, their dad is not in the picture. I would say for probably 75% of them. And so we view it as one of our tasks to provide them positive male role models in their lives. Um, and I think that that's a sad trend. It's not, it's not the end of the world, it, but, but it's something we need to pay really close attention to uh, and start, um, I think, paying some attention to it. Now, if you look at, at the data, at almost every level of society, whether it's the number of people getting college degrees or graduating from law school or medical school or these other places, women are passing men. Like, the trend lines are completely different directions. Um, 
And I encourage you to go go look it up, it's easy. Um, so what you see now, I think, in this in some of this stuff going on in broader society, is uh, uh, where young men are just melted down left and right is is a result in part of just being told that's that they're they're not worth much that they're supposed to be this way uh oh you're that oh yeah well then you're you're de facto you fit into this box uh it's a negative box it's not a positive box um i think um you know we, we we started putting a little bit of energy to this and our youth ministry flipped over completely into where now it's vast majority male and that's created a new set of challenges and problems uh but if we could find that right you know turn the dials like to where it was just right and i don't know that you can ever find just right but to where you had uh this wonderful flourishing of godly young women and this wonderful flourishing of godly young men and they were taught to love and appreciate one another and the church's message on that was was strong enough that it could counter what they're hearing from outside. Uh, I think we would be way better off for it. So as we talk about gender and those kinds of things, I think it's important that we kind of keep perspective on it as we go through. Um, that's kind of what I'm what I'm suggesting. All right. So, um, all right. So one more for today, and then we'll we'll give a little time for questions here. When somebody asks you how many people go to your church, again, that's a It's a little like somebody going, hey, where do you shop for CDs? Like, who shops for CDs anymore? Like, out here on the West Coast, attendance is a, vet, a, 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 is a remnant of the past. Uh, let me tell you why. Uh, you got two trends going on simultaneously. One is church attendance is dropping nationally in terms of the frequency of attendance. And the other uh, is that people are starting to change their attendance patterns, and they're shopping different churches for different things. You'll have a developing trend is people going and saying, okay, well, I'm going to get preaching here. We're going to take our kids there for youth ministry, and then we're going to send them there for camp, and then we're going to do these kinds of things. Whereas we were one-stop shoppers, right? We were Walmart people. We kind of, you got one church, you buy the whole portfolio when you, when you become a member. Membership is also, by the way, kind of gone at this point. Now, it can make you sad if you choose to be sad about it. Uh, or you can go, okay, what are the opportunities in this? There are opportunities in it. But let me demonstrate for you. If a, let's do some math. If a, anybody know what the average church attendance rate per month is? Average church member goes to church how often per month? How many times? Two, twice. Okay. Two was pre-COVID. You're right. Point eight. Point eight. Right. So if you have two hundred people showing up. For church, how many people could actually go to your church? A lot more than you think, huh? If you're like that. Now, those of you who are in older churches with more stable uh, populations, uh, where you do have membership that's well entrenched, different part of the country, Bible Belt, maybe places like that where that's still part of the culture, but out here on the West Coast, it's not. And so, if you've got 200 people, you probably got more like 800 because you got 200 going four times. A different 200. So if you build yourself for that, you're going to miss the mark because you've got different people going through all the time. That's the other thing. I think if you're a West Coaster, um, we'll talk about this more tomorrow, but building yourself for transiency. There's a way of doing ministry when people move in and move out. 
Uh, so if you're in California, they might move into your, your town for, like Escondido is kind of a way station. It's where you buy your first home. And then when you make more money, then you leave Escondido and you go somewhere else. Uh, so we, we used to lament that. And then we said, okay, well, maybe instead of crying about it, let's try to be solution oriented. How can we embrace that and do the best ministry that we can if we've only got them for four or five years? Uh, our church turned over 80% during COVID. So we were in construction. We left. We had just sold our building. We were nomadic at the time, and we're under construction. And when we opened the doors, I had no idea who the people were that were sitting in front of me. None. It was a total adjustment. And the answer was half of my people had moved to Idaho and Texas and Florida and Oregon and everywhere except California. And then nobody was moving in for the most part. And so it was, okay, well then, if that's going to be a trend... So now California is a declining state population-wise. Uh, the area that I'm in uh, is higher than the California state average. All cities are in that camp for the most part, except Sacramento. Then what? how should we adapt ourselves uh, to that reality? Now, I can try to change the economic realities of the United States. I can try to get Gavin Newsom thrown out of office. I can lament from the stage, uh, you know, how awful I think everything is in California. And none of that's going to change the fact that people are going to move in and out of here. Right? So I think, I know I'll get in a little trouble for this on the recording, but we need to do less lamenting and a little more thinking, I think, in, a, in an aspirational way. Um, and then build the trust mechanisms that, that we need in order for us to uh, collectively be able to make the changes that we need to make as quickly as we can. Because the society's moving at 80 miles an hour and the church is barely moving at all, speed-wise. So I, maybe we're hoping that the world will spin all the way around and it'll come back around and get us where we, where we were, but uh, it's unlikely. There's very little uh, that suggests that that is ever going to take place. Um, so when you're looking at truisms, all I'm encouraging you to do, kind of as we, we go through here, and I'll save a, a second here for, um, for talking. Tomorrow we're going to talk about money. That's a big... Uh, a big one. There, there's some really fascinating stuff that's happened on money in the church over the last couple of years. Uh, that's kind of my my wheelhouse from a, a academic perspective. So I look forward to sharing that with you. But when you hear, whenever somebody starts with young people today, da 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 da, listen to the tone in the voice. Listen to the tone. Do they like these young people? Do they hate these young people? Um, and then, and then, where are they getting the data from? Is it anecdotal? That's valid. I mean, if, if because every community is different. Young people in San Diego are different than young people in Fresno or or Portland or or DFW or any of those places. Everybody's different, right? But you want to be able to make sure that if you're going to take some of these leaps, uh, I would, I would, the truishism, and I didn't finish this one. Let me finish that quickly. But instead of going, how many people go to your church? Take a look at how many people are you impacting. So what we've done is we built a matrix that we we count influence. We measure influence, not not uh, attendance. We don't even take it because we don't think it's important. Anything that matters, we can see with our eye. So if we're getting bigger, we'll know. We're getting smaller, we'll know. But if you sit there and you're like bean counting every Sunday and you publish it in your bulletin, oh no, we dropped 20 people in a week. Uh, last week we had 10 people left. We're, we're dying or whatever. It produces panic and everybody's up and down. It's like if, if playing the game the right way is likely to get you a lot further than 
than trying to figure out, okay, how did I do today? So it's like a baseball player playing 162 games. If he goes 0 for 4 one day, he doesn't retire, right? Tomorrow's a new day. We're going to fix it. We're going to move on. You know, we have a bad Sunday. There's another one. If Jesus tarries, there'll be another one next Sunday. So impact is we, we use um, within the last 90 days, did they, do we know they showed up for church, they gave money, they went to a group, served in some capacity, or checked in a kid? If you don't do that within 90 days, you drop. If you haven't done any of those things in the last 90 days, then you're not, we won't really consider you a part of it. So our attendance, so check this out, to my point. Hi there. My, uh, our attendance, I'd probably peg it at about 350. We have ways of knowing that. How many people do you think we have under influence in that 90-day window? That's, that's a big gap. Now the question is, well, if you're having that much influence, why don't they go to church? Because they're not either A, not ready for that yet, B, we haven't made the case to them that that ought to be as central as it, as it should be. And most of our people are new. If this gap is not very wide, that tells you you don't have anybody new. And I'd be concerned. For the same reason that I'll tell you why tomorrow, I think per capita giving rate, if your per capita giving rate is high, that's bad. It means you have a lot of older people who've been there a long time. You have nobody new coming in. So this is a gap that you ironically want to see wide. So on Easter and Christmas, we slay. Everybody shows up and it's like, whoa. And uh, you're like, what happened? What? You know, well, everybody showed up for a change. Pretty awesome. And then that gives you the opportunity to say, wouldn't you like to do this every week? You know, why don't you stop going, go from one to two a month? Uh, or go from two to three, three to four, or whatever. I, I joke them. I'm here every week. You can be too. You know? So, but those kind of things, those gaps, um, it's a contrarian way of looking at things, right? You'd assume, well, per capita giving rate means you're more generous. No, it just means you're richer. Uh, it means you've got older people with a little bit more established. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, I'm going to blow my thunder for tomorrow. But, but the highest participant giving rate in our church, meaning the, the age group with the highest participation rate, is our teenagers. My daughter just went to Buenos Aires for the year. She tithed from Buenos Aires. Uh, the kid that ran everybody over in the coffee shop tithes every week. Comes his eight bucks, like clockwork, every week. Boom, 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 boom. Now, people who have all the money, eh, they're probably given 1% to 2% of their income, maybe. These teens are given 10% right off the top, not even thinking about it. They love doing it. They feel like they can actually afford something. And that sounds weird, but the psychology of it is like that. Hey, I can help my church by doing X. So it's not all gloom and doom, folks. I'm just encouraging you to take some of these truisms and adapt them. Don't throw out education. That's good. Just don't do only education and understand the importance of trust as you're making the change. Don't, don't say, well, yeah, we're, we're going to ignore females and just go after men. Don't do that. That's not what we need to do either. Right? So it's a together. It's a us thing. Uh, and then, you know, as you're going through, just take a look at these other ones. All right, how can we tweak little things here or there? All right, let me pause for questions real quick. Got three minutes. Very excited. Yes, sir. How do you get leadership over the idea that if the person's not in the pew, I could use a euphemism, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. if, if, how do you get them over the idea if the person's not in the pew, then we're losing them? Because... I've got a bunch of, I've, I've got one of these groups yeah. 
I formed a class on Sunday morning because there were people who just didn't want to go to the, the assigned adult classes. I said, well, let's just go find a room and we'll sit down and talk for a while. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I've got 12 people. I have more people in that class than in one of the adult classes that's sitting in the auditorium. And they, half of them go to a different church at 9.30 for There's, what we call what? worship service, but come to my class because one, they trust me, and two, they love what I do. All right, so here, here's what I would say quickly. Um, two things. First of all, realize that you may not be able to do it at all. It's just a reality, right? And so if you've got a leadership team, that's going to be a long, that doesn't genuinely care. And getting people to care is a process of its own. But most of the time, leadership's up here, and they're isolated from the rest of the church. They meet, and they have their own groups, and no Bible says that they do in their home. But they're, they've gotten out of the business of meeting a lot of new people long ago. My experience. So, to me, one of the keys is they've got to get around your newbies more. So, like in our case, uh, I mean, we, we swim in teenagers all the time. Not just because my daughter's in the youth ministry, but like we've got people that they just come over and hang out at our house. Outside the church building. Because what ends up happening is you build relational uh, ties and fabric. So then they know, okay... This person's missing church a lot, but they're not a bad person. It's not that they're disinterested in Jesus. It's not that they hate my guts or our truth. They just haven't grown up to the point that of maturity yet, which is kind of our job to help them grow to maturity. So I don't, I don't look at it and go, okay, I shouldn't, uh, you know, do that. And again, if somebody doesn't doesn't care, maybe maybe I'll maybe we'll do that one tomorrow. I want to do some thinking about that. Uh, one more question. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna chew on that. Come back tomorrow. Yeah. 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 If you came to church, like meaning we we saw you or you checked in, you gave money. But that's attendance. It you is. No, no. But, but I'm not saying throw it out. I'm saying okay. you gotta you gotta measure it. It's like you don't you don't check somebody's blood pressure and get well you're perfectly healthy. You know uh, that's one measurement, but it's not the only one. And we typically only use that, is what I'm suggesting. So I'm saying, okay, did they come to church? Did they check in a kid? We're looking for signs of life and income. Give money. Attend a group or serve. And then basically we say if you did that within 90 days, if you haven't done it in the last three months, you're not really here. We'll add you back if you start doing it again. But that helps us have a, a, a cleansed palate and understand, okay, we've got people here who are investing themselves in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but if you haven't done one of those five things in 90 days, you're probably, it's a you know tree falls in the forest kind of thing. And they're also probably the kind of people who are going to go, they didn't even notice when I left. You weren't really here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So. All right. Hey, guys, thank you. We'll be back tomorrow. Come back. We're your friend. <laughs>